What are my spiritual gifts that God has given me? I would have to say in all of my years in ministry, that is definitely one of the most oftenly asked questions that I've ever received. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to be diving into understand what these spiritual gifts are and how you can know which ones you have. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you guys, as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we study now in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, where we're going to be learning about spiritual gifts. Now, I want to mention that we have a resource for you before we dive into 1 Corinthians 12, and it's the Bible's answers to 100 of life's biggest questions that several years ago, I think it was in 2015, it came out with my spiritual mentor and father, Dr. Norman Geiser, he was a great professor, a theologian, philosopher. I studied under him. I traveled with him. I lived in the same community with him. We went to church together where I was a pastor for many years and his lovely wife, Barbara, and got to know many of his other family members. But we wrote this book and in the book, we actually answer the question, you know, what are my spiritual gifts? So there's a section in that book that is, again, it's just a great resource for you guys. If you have questions about like who made God and why are there different denominations, different religions, and how do I share my faith and and all kinds of things about issues of science and is evolution a viable option? And so we dive into those things. And so that is available for you wherever you get books. You can download the Kindle, the Bible's answers to 100 of life's biggest questions where we answer the question. Well, today, the question is what spiritual gifts has the Holy Spirit given you? And we're going to be looking at verses one through 11 in this particular study. And then from there, we're going to kind of go into part two and break things down about the various different spiritual gifts. So there's in one half, he, you know, ex expresses some of these uh, spiritual gifts. And then there's a second part where he gets into in, in greater detail. So let's dive right in and see first Corinthians chapter 12, verse one, it says now concerning spiritual gifts. So I love the letter as we've been studying this verse by verse, my friends, because Paul, again, he's responding, he's doing a Q&A. As I'm even recording this in the studio, I'm about to head off to Texas where I'm going to be teaching on the problem of evil. Um, can you be gay and Christian at the same time? Uh, also, I'm going to be talking on, is the God of the Old Testament more a monster? And then I'm going to do a Q&A. And, and based on, obviously, the material and what people come with, uh, it's a great opportunity to really not just dissect what they're asking, but to really diagnose some issues that are happening in our culture and also maybe with somebody individually. So I love Q&As and I love the fact that Paul's doing this. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, he's like, okay, so we've responded. I've responded to a lot of the questions you guys have. Remember, as I, you've been listening to the podcast, I've been telling you, we don't have those exact questions, but we can understand to some degree what questions obviously that they had asked, but we don't know to what specificity, but Paul does his best inspired by the Holy Spirit to respond to them. And so now they're bringing up the issue of spiritual gifts. Now we got to put this in context because remember, they've been very prideful, very arrogant. We got, we went into first Corinthians 11, where if a man wore, you know, a covering over his head in church, he was a sign of him saying, I'm all that, right? And you need to pay homage to me, or I'm an elite person. You know, when we looked at communion, they were abusing it and people are being invited based on their class. And we know when we come to the table, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. 
And so in context of that, when he says now concerning spiritual gifts, I love this because in context of what we've been learning about, that we don't, we don't come to the table of pagans or demons. We come to the table of the Lord, what he has done for us. So when he, when he brings up spiritual gifts, just to give you guys a heads up in context, he's now going to do a masterful job in explaining the individuality and the diversity that is within the body of believers, but we are united as one. So he says here, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one say, who can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is in the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another, the, the faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, on the next podcast, we're going to be diving into verses 12 through following at the end of the chapter, and we're going to be looking at how then he correlates this, this oneness through the body. He's going to use a body analogy. And then again, as I mentioned, he's going to get into more specific um, roles, or I should say spiritual gifts in their functionality and how we're to pursue them to honor and worship the Lord. So here, what we if we go back to verse one, Paul breaks up his spiritual gifts into three parts. So as I was just reading that through verses one through three, what we see is the source of our gifts is the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. We are never to forget that it is the Holy Spirit who directs us, who guides us, who empowers us, who teaches us, who illuminates us, who convicts us, and who has gifted us our spiritual gifts. Number two, the gifts are diverse. And number three, the gifts are meant to build up the body. So we all have spiritual gifts. Some may have more than others. And obviously we all have a, a plethora of them, a mixture. There's, so there's multiplicity, but we're not to abuse them. And what's interesting is Paul says now concerning this is he's, he's, when he's transitioning to spiritual gifts, he wants to answer this question to the Corinthian church because obviously it was a problem. There was not just confusion. And we know this because he doesn't want them to be uninformed. That literally means it being ignorant. It's a common expression that Paul uses in his letters. You can see this all throughout his letters. Back in chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 14, verse 38, Romans 1, 13, Romans 10, 3, Romans 11, 25, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. And of course here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. So Many times Paul uses this term, I do not want you to be uninformed. That is so, so important. The Greek word is agnoio. It means not to be an error or to be mistaken. And this is important because remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, or yeah, verse 3, Paul there confronts the Corinthians because of their carnality, because they're in the flesh. They weren't being empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were being ignorant. They're being foolish. They were gunning for the more spectacular spiritual gifts here in this context we're going to deal with. That's carnality. So even though it's in context, if you will, that someone says, I want God to, to bless me. I want to be able to speak in tongues. I want to be able to, to teach in front of tens of thousands of people. 
And you could say, I want God to do this. I want to honor him and speak his word. But if you're gunning for the more spectacular things, if you're doing it to show, and let me just say, you know, it's so sad. No matter if it was happening then the first century in the church of Corinth, even now. And I tell you guys that sometimes on the podcast, you know, I've been in a lot of green rooms and you know, to be honest, and I got sucked into it at times when you think you're all that and you got all these answers and people want your order. Who cares about all that? We are servants of Christ. The spiritual gifts that you have, the spiritual gifts that I have, we are to unite together to serve one another, to stir up love and good works until the day approaches, until Christ returns. We're to be good stewards. That's what it's about. And we use the name of Jesus to build up our name. And they were, they, they were seeking these spectacular gifts. They wanted the recognition for the sake of their own personal glory. So Paul, as because of this, he wanted to bring unity among them and he wants to educate their Corinthians on spiritual gifts. Now, what's a spiritual gift? The Greek word literally is neomatakon, okay? And it just literally means God-given gifts to be exercised in service of others. So these spiritual gifts. Now, let me just say this. They're not talents. We have to be very careful that I'm very, when you say Joey is so talented, Timmy's so talented, Jessica is so talented, great. There's a lot of talent in the world. Now, there could be a reflection because of some of their talent or their passions lies in something, writing, speaking, serving, um, edifying. and But you don't say, you mean, you're very talented in building people up. <laughs> we wouldn't say that. So we have to be careful and I think what happens in the coaching leadership world, and I got a ton of leadership books in my office and I appreciate a lot of the wisdom and guidance, but a lot of stuff is just junk. You know, it's pop psychology or about your sweet spots and, you know, this is engineer this and focus on this and build up the talent that kind of stuff. What, what rather we should do as Christians is seek the Holy Spirit in humility and readiness to be used according to how he's gifted us. And to see how it's not about benefiting me or advancing me or giving me personal glory or attention, but rather how it's focusing on the needs around me and being a solution as a servant, right? So the problem here is they're seeking personal glory. God, God is directing Paul to teach them through his teaching, to educate them on spiritual gifts that are God-given to exercise, to be exercised in the context of the church. So then he says, when you know when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. And, and so in their pagan practices, the Corinthians were led by demonic spirits. And it's sad because a lot of commentaries in my study, they don't really emphasize that. They're like, oh yeah, where they lived, a certain religion. No, this was they, that's what Paul's getting at. He just said in context, remember, let's keep it in context. He says, you guys once were at the table of demons. Basically this, you guys, let's understand this. And if you're in the West, you have a harder understanding of this than some people who are more animistic cultures. But the reality is they were influenced, they were demonized. They were being controlled and led and influenced and dominated by demons. He says, you once were like that. And the mute idols here, obviously is speaking directly to uh, these, these in the pagan temples, they would erect these idols that of course couldn't talk, couldn't see. This is something Paul talked about back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. The application commentary says this, part of their problem is that they 
have not made a radical enough break from their pagan backgrounds, which employed counterparts to many of the controversial gifts discussed here, especially tongues and prophecy. Some of them had doubtless spoken, seemingly inspired utterances during various Greco-Roman religious rituals, end quote. So again, in context, when Paul starts talking about tongues and prophecies, many of them that were under the influence of unclean spirits, they were speaking in unusual ways, many of them. And so what Paul doesn't want them to do, he doesn't want them to be an uninformed and thinking that they can continue to do that. I just was talking to recently in our ministry with one of our donors, a situation where somebody was tapping into spirits and thought it was of the Holy Spirit and it wasn't. And so now it's having to help him understand the work of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and then looking at spiritual gifts and how they're being exercised for the glory of God versus the manipulation that he was under from other false prophets. So this is what was happening here. So when, when you given the pagan practices that the Corinthians came out of, and Paul's talking about here about Jesus is a curse and Jesus is Lord. He says, you have to understand that no one can, can speak in the spirit of God. And if they're speaking, the spirit of God will ever say Jesus is a curse. Now I want to get to a practical side of it. When you think of prosperity preachers in a minute, but let's unpack this in context of the Corinthians. So if you look at their big, their pagan practices, okay, that they came out of, that they're saved out of, and even remember, we're still influenced. They were still giving into some of the pressures. So when you're talking about speaking in tongues, it was very confusing for them in the activity of the spirit. So when they actually did see it in the spirit, and if you look in Acts chapter eight, remember when Paul was, when, when the, Peter and them were moving around and doing ministry and there was an individual who wanted to pay for the gift that they had in the spirit, thinking if I could just buy this, I can, I can have it for myself. It doesn't work that way, right? So Paul assures them, this is important, that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning if you've been regenerated, you know, from death to life, you will never curse Jesus as Lord. Now, conversely, it is only by and through the Holy Spirit that a person can testify of Jesus as Lord. That's the, the word kiros. So here Paul affirms the divinity of Jesus right? And also the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And then this is important because he says, Jesus is, is a curse. No one can say that if they're in the spirit of God and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. This is confessional. This is what Paul's pointing out. And this is also important in the first century church, because a lot of the churches, they would use these type of confessions that we still have today in many denominations. And in one in particular that we know in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So that is what he's talking about. Now, when you put in context of prosperity doctrine, and you look at a a person like Kenneth Copeland says, Jesus is Lord, and you see banners behind him, Jesus is Lord, and yet you see how he decade after decade has taught false teaching, has ripped people off for millions of dollars. And the guy is, that guy is demonized. There's no question. I'm saying that right, right out. As we stand strong in the word of God, we have to, as we're talking about right now, we, we have to stay informed. We cannot be uninformed. We have to understand who are the false teachers out there. And we know this based on what we know to be true, according to scripture. That's how we stand strong in God's word, by being in it, by letting it purify us and direct us and convict us. And we are to teach it, to live out its truth in complete and total obedience. And so he could say that, okay, because 
he is trying to, it's not that he's affirming it to be true entirely, but in the context of somebody truly believes Jesus is Lord, that's through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that you can't say the statement. You can go on YouTube and you can see a bunch of atheists says, yeah, well, the Bible says Jesus is Lord. That's what they believe, but I don't believe it. That's, that's, that's one side of thing. But what Paul's talking about here is, again, you cannot affirm Jesus Christ as Lord. You can't come to know Christ as Lord and Savior except through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's regeneration, Titus chapter three, verse five and six. So that's important to understand. Now, I love verse four, five, and six because this sets the tone for the rest of the chapter. And it's sad because a lot of people don't necessarily understand this portion. They kind of see it and they go right into the gifts because they want to, they want definitions so they can kind of take a spiritual gifts test, right? And get their top three, if you will. And that's kind of like this Americanized thing. And it's so disturbing sometimes, but notice here it says, now there are varieties of gifts, number one, but the same spirit. Number two, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are, number three, varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So notice, again, he's just talking about, you don't come to Christ unless it's through the the work and conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus in in part said, I must go, be the Holy Spirit to come do the work of salvation, right? To usher in the church and we are to be his hands and feet, temples of God, declaring the word of God. And and then in this case right now with Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can see the work of the third person, the Trinity. And then through the church, the Holy Spirit gives these gifts we see in verse 11. Now we can't miss this because here Paul stresses his point by restating it in three parallel ways while referencing the role of each member of the triune Godhead. So anytime we're discussing spiritual gifts, we have to understand the role of each member of the Trinity. And it's reflective in how Paul lays out these parallel ways. The first one is the varieties of gifts. So here specifically, he's talking about distribution. This phrase, different kinds or varieties of gifts means distributions or apportions. Diorisius is the Greek term. It is used only in verse four and verse 10 in Paul's writings. Isn't that fascinating? So if you look at verse 10, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we are, it says to another, the working of miracles, to another, to another, the ability of distinguishing between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. Notice various kinds of tongues. So in context, what he's saying here is the distributions of them. So there's distributions of tongues. There's apportions of tongues. There are different kinds of tongues. And it's, it's only used here in verse four and verse 10. So you cannot miss that. So in in conjunction to the Greek word of gifts, remember is charisma. So when you when you go back and we were talking about the spiritual gifts, and spiritual is you know the nemomaticon. So the neomaticon, and then you take the Greek word charisma, spiritual gift. So again, it's a spiritual gift that is given to us and exercised by and through the Holy Spirit. So you put these things together, these varieties of kinds with the charisma, with these gifts, and it literally reads like this, the distributing of spiritual endowments within the diversity of the body of Christ. So if you were to take a snapshot of the body of Christ, you're seeing the activity, yes, but first and foremost, understand the distribution, just like if you have a distribution plant, okay? Think of any company like Dunkin' Donuts or Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, 
there's distribution plants, Amazon, because that's probably bigger than, than all of them that we know now. When you get a distribution plant near you, you're thinking, boom, man, most of the stuff I order now is going to come within the same day because there's a distribution center where you have access. And that's how we have to see things with these varieties of gifts. They're distributions, they're portions in the charisma and the gift that we have to, to use these spiritual endowments as a steward. Now, the second is the varieties of service. So this is now the ministration. So we have distribution and now we have ministration. And the Greek word here is diakonia. This is where we eventually get the word deacon from because it means to serve. And it's a reference that's frequently used every time, not every time I should say, but most of the time when, you're, when you see the description or them describing the work of ministry that's conducted and done by apostles in the early church. So keep that in mind. I'll throw out an example, Ephesians 4.12, Romans 11.13. So in the Greek, it reads like this, the administering of spiritual service. So you have the, when you look at the distribution, you have the distributing of spiritual endowments through the administering of spiritual service. Okay, now let's look at the third layer, the third parallel, the varieties of activities. So we have number one, we have the distribution. Number two, we have the ministration. And number three, we have the operation. So here, the varieties of activities, the phrase describes the outward working or manifestations. It also carries the idea of looking at the results of the spiritual gifts in the life of the church. Isn't that amazing? So even if you're, if you're a pastor right now, if you're serving, what is important is don't just look at the operation. You have to look at the distribution. Where is it coming from? Number two is the ministration of it, meaning the service of it, how this is to serve the body of believers. And as a result of that comes from the Holy Spirit. This is the purpose. Let's see the manifestation of it. Let's see the results. Boom. That right there contextually is then how we can then go into the context of defining what spiritual gifts are. So let's understand the gifts are, are function functional based on the giving of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, okay? So we take the teachings of Jesus and living as a follower of Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit through our gifts. The Greek word empowers here is again, where we literally get the word energy, okay? And it implies a powerful operation that produces visible results. So this is amazing. So we see the structure of distribution, ministration, and operation, okay? But all of that is done through the empowering, the powerful operation. So it's not just about us. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture to see the church at work. But what we need to see beyond that is the empowering, the powerful operation, the visible results of the Holy Spirit moving. So when you take a wide-ranging approach then in the purposes of distributing, administering, and operating the spiritual gifts, it is to honor the triune Godhead. And as we honor the triune Godhead, we are to unite together in the body of Christ as believers. Now, Paul details the gifts of the Holy Spirit in two other passages. In Romans 12, 4 and 8, he lists prophecy and service and teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. Okay, so when you look at those gifts in Romans 12, 4 through 8, you will see what he's going to be talking about here now in verse 7 about the manifestation of the Spirit. Not only that, but also in Ephesians 4, 11, Paul lists apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, 
pastoring, shepherding, and teaching. So again, if you were to take the list here in 1 Corinthians 12, again, we're only covering a few of the spiritual gifts today. We're going to finish the rest of them in the next podcast. But if you were to take them, there's like 19 spiritual gifts in these three epistles by Paul. Some people break them up, you know, it could be 18 to 22. But the point is that there are a variety of spiritual gifts that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And notice verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is what's amazing. So it's through the varieties of, of these gifts and service and activities, notice given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So we, when we are exercising our spiritual gifts, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is in our life. So each local church is given a variety of spiritual gifts. And let me just say this. They're not just spiritual gifts. They're supernatural gifts. They're supernatural gifts because the third person Holy Trinity empowers us to, to use this endowment, to use these spiritual gifts to benefit the people as we worship Jesus. Paul states this later in the chapter, verses 29 through 30, that no one you know, is given the same spiritual gifts, right? He, he, we all have variety. Peter expresses how spiritual gifts are meant to build up the church of Christ. So, so even though there are some, and there's brothers and sisters that I know that we share the same spiritual gifts, but not everybody. And that's a beautiful thing. Peter says this, as each has received a gift, use it in first Peter four, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him be belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So then he says here in verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So here in verses 10 through, or excuse me, eight through 10, he lays out three classes of spiritual gifts. And this is important. Because Paul lays it out by distinguishing these, these, these different classes of gifts with the distinct Greek word, another. So the first gift that Paul mentions here is wisdom. Now the gift of wisdom means a Christian has been given sound judgment and experienced in offering practical insight and advice that help bring solutions. In Acts 15, 12 through 21, Simeon and James exercised their gift of wisdom when they were leading the church through major controversy and division. So that's a prime example that we can see of, wi of wisdom being exercised. Knowledge. Knowledge is just the ability to process information, to analyze truth, and to offer the best course of action. For example, Luke, the physician, he demonstrates the gift of knowledge when he was writing his gospel letter, his gospel account, and also the book of Acts. But then he says in verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. So notice the Holy Spirit's mentioned frequently throughout this entire passage to another gifts of healing. Guess what? By the one spirit. So in this section of gifts, Paul highlights the supernatural ability now to believe and act. So we have wisdom and knowledge. And this is so important because notice going in context, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you guys to have wisdom. I want you guys to have knowledge. And now it's like, Hey, this is talking about the supernatural ability to believe and act in God's divine power. So, so this is amazing because we're all to have faith. We get that. So every Christian has faith in God. But what he's talking about here is describing an incredible amount of belief. Have you ever met somebody where things just don't phase them? They just have faith in God. I mean, you have faith in God, but not like this person, okay? And you can think of the great missionaries of the world and the great evangelists of the world, right? To some extent where they just leave everything, they abandon everything 
and, and like the Dietrich Bonhoeffers, if you will. And they have just a great sensitivity and belief in God's mighty work. And they trust that. They trust in him and it fuels their soul to live out a bold life, okay? And then we have healing, another supernatural gift. This person has the gift. Again, this doesn't mean they have the power themselves to heal. But instead, it's the, they're an instrument, okay? They're an instrument of God and he uses them to supernaturally heal a person. And so this individual usually possesses great faith in God's healing power. And they seek to honor and glorify God through the miracle, knowing that the healing again comes from, from God, if God wills. And you see this in Acts chapter three, verses one through 10. And so Paul places this in the double plural and the double plural suggesting the healer can heal various illnesses in many different ways through the Holy Spirit. So that's important, okay? So to another, as we're closing up, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So now what Paul does is he goes from, remember, talking about wisdom and knowledge to then faith and healing to talking about miracles. So see this progression. And so he proceeds to define these various spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit, by talking about workings of power. Now, the gift of miracles is, again, not limited to only healings. So notice they're specific. He has healings and then miracles. And you see this in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Acts 14, 8 through 10, Hebrews 2, 4. So in some cases, I've seen this in the ministry where somebody has a gift of healing, but they don't have the gift of miracles, if you will, in terms of somebody performs a supernatural act um, in creation beyond just a natural thing of somebody who was sick, they had a fever and now it's gone, okay? But they're, they're not, so they're not one in the same, but again, you would say somebody was healed, that's a miracle. So yes, and the, the, but what we're talking about is specifically what Paul records as performing signs and wonders, okay? For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Notice, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, that's in Romans 15, 18, 18 through 19. So, so the workings of power is gonna, they're gonna be different things like with nature or in changing someone's mind or preventing a violent act to occur. That is a sign and wonder. Or when, when, when God uses somebody through a sign, it could be healing. But healings are specific with the body. Miracles go beyond just healing of the body. So keep that in mind. The, other, the last one is, is uh, or excuse me, one of the, the last two here is prophecy. So the Holy Spirit here gives a Christian a special ability, catch this, to have insight. To have insight into a particular situation or matter. The New King James Version Evangelical Study Bible says, quote, it refers to the proclamation of God's revelation intended to provide God's people with clarity and encouragement in specific situations. It could include the act of foretelling. We see this in Acts 11, 28, as in revealing details about future events or simply foretelling, that is the timely proclamation of truths that have already been revealed. Okay, so... That in context, remember, it's not just the foretelling we see in Acts 11, but also the fourth telling, meaning talking about a timely proclamation of, of certain truths that will be revealed in time. Once you say to somebody, 
God has God God will reveal this to you soon enough. Okay, that's kind of general, but it's on that path where it's directing that person to heed the word of God. For example, Timothy, he was prophesied over by people before he joined Paul's ministry in 1 Timothy 1.18. And then Paul, just so you know, when we go into the next podcast, he's going to go in deeper detail of this gift um, later, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And then we have the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, this is an ability to discern between the Holy Spirit and demonic spirits. Remember I was telling you, he says, you went from the table of demons to the table of the Lord. 1 John 4, 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Remember, to stay informed, we discern, we can distinguish between these false teachers. Okay, the Greek word test when we are to test these spirits to find out if they're of the Lord or not, is dokimizo. It means to try, to examine, to interpret, to discern, to approve. So God gives certain people the gift to, be, to distinguish between spirits. And then the finality here is the tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now we have to understand, because this is highly abused in the world today, especially in the prosperity doctrine and the New Apostolic Reformation. If you want to learn more about the New Apostolic Reformation, I encourage you guys to pick up a book from my friends, Doug Guyvitt and Holly Pivik. I've interviewed them on my podcast, Challenging Conversations. You can check that out. My other podcast, as well as my YouTube channel, Stand Strong with Jason Jimenez. And you can punch in and search Holly Pivik or the New Apostolic Reformation. But tongues here, the Greek word is glosso. And it just refers to the language where we get glossary, right? It's used between two people. So it has to do with an exchange. And this person, meaning the exchanging of languages and communication. So this person is, 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 has the ability through the Holy Spirit to receive and communicate a message in, different, in a different language that they've never learned. And God uses this to edify the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26 through 28. So when you have the gift of tongues, there's going to be the interpretation. So again, somebody who's never learned a language is able to interpret another language that somebody hasn't learned either. And that's to edify the body. Again, we see this in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 28. When you have people grab it and blab it, when all these sardonic laughter and spasmatic jerking and falling over on the floor and, and they're, you know, that kind of stuff, that's false. That is not tongues and that is not the interpretation of tongues. There's a period of time in my life, we were at a four square denomination. They were anointing me. They were all trying to speak in tongues. And I felt like the Holy Spirit, they, they call it the double blessing. The Holy Spirit to come on you, Jason, give you a double blessing. And the sign of it will be the speaking of tongues. And so even as a young child, I was falsely learning something from a group of family members that were telling me things that were not true. Okay. And over time, I've had to really rebuke that, those unclean spirits in my life you know, and not to buy into if, uh, an abuse of spiritual gifts. Now, I think some people, they're well-intended, but I think that they were uninformed. So now here in verse 11, it says, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So this is a summary of what we discuss in verses one through 10. He uses the word again, empowered again. He uses the word one again. He uses the word Holy Spirit again. He uses the word apportions again. He uses individually again in wills. So he, he encapsulates everything in this one verse because this is the point as I close. Spiritual gifts are not man-made. Hopefully that's what we gather today. 
We are not to boast in whatever gifts we have been empowered to exercise because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to exercise these to edify the body of Christ. Not, there's no one gift that is superior than another. And also we have to remember that it's the Holy Spirit who sovereignly distributes each gift to produce certain spiritual results. Therefore, my friends, as I close, no, no Christian listening to the sound of my voice, you shouldn't despise another person's gifts, but instead use your gifts to build up that other member in the body of believers. So I pray that you would dwell on this, that you reflect on this. If you have any questions about spiritual gifts, you can contact us by emailing us at info at stanstrongministries.org and encourage you guys, if you are a faithful listener and you love this ministry, we are asking, we are, we are asking you guys openly and honestly that without your support, we're not able to do this. We are, a, we are a nonprofit ministry, a tax-exempt ministry. So we are encouraging you guys to go to our website, standstrongministries.org, click on donate and become a monthly Stand Strong supporter. We need, your, we need your help. We are doing a lot of more things and it requires more attention, time, and money, but we trust the Lord. And so we're so thankful for you guys. I, I am so blessed to be able to have this time with you guys as we study God's word together. So go out there, my friends, not boastfully, but humbly and exercise the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Till next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. 